Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church, and greetings. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. If this is your first time connecting with us online. I want to speak on behalf of our entire staff and community when I say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We also want to say thank you for your continued patience as we strive to be adaptable to the circumstances we find ourselves in. We're so thankful for God's provision and our team's extraordinary work in facilitating our online services. It is a testament to the way that the gospel of the Christian faith always finds a way to shine, even when it seems as though we're shrouded in darkness. This is a very exciting Sunday, not only for us, but for the church with a capital C around the world, as we together celebrate the first Sunday in Advent. The liturgical season of Advent is perhaps best known in pop culture for its calendars filled with chocolate, counting down to Christmas Day. And while this is all fine and good, the Christian church takes the season of Advent with a sober seriousness. In reality, Advent marks something momentous. Advent marks God's coming into our midst. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that Advent is not only a matter of glad tidings, but is first and foremost frightening news for anyone who has a conscience. Strong words, certainly, but Bonhoeffer's words get at the fact of the matter. Advent is a big deal. It is a season of expectation, wonder, and awe, but it's also a splash of cold water to the face about God's decision to enter into the world in human flesh in a manger in Bethlehem. We celebrate this reality with the lighting of candles. One candle for each week over Advent's four weeks to represent the light entering the world on Christmas Day with the fifth candle being lit on Christmas Day. Advent is a big deal. It's full of holiness, love, and joy. It's also a season full of hope. And hope will be our undergirding principle today. Daniel 6, the book of Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 to 27 will be our roadmap. And the Holy Spirit will be our guide as we dive into Advent. So I invite you to listen now to what God's word in Daniel 6 has to say about hope. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. 
And they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king, the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord and we say thanks be to God. Now, Daniel 6 might not have a manger or wise men, but we did get some exciting animals. More importantly, Daniel 6 kicks off our Advent season by giving us a reason for hope, a need for hope, a confident expectation. And that will be our guide here today. Now, I don't want you all waiting on pins and needles, so I'll make it brief. Uh, we start in the middle of the action in the book of Daniel. Jerusalem has fallen under the control of the Babylonian Empire, and King Darius is on the throne. Daniel, a Jew, has made himself useful to previous kings as an interpreter of dreams. He's ascended the ranks of King Darius's political cabinet. He's in good standing. And in Daniel 6, we jump in with these political officials as they are petitioning to King Darius for a 30-day edict against worshiping anything or anyone other than the king. All right, we say, doesn't seem so bad. But with a quick peek back, we realize that the 30-day edict against worship is actually directed at Daniel because these other political officials are jealous. Now, why a ban on worship to target Daniel? Well, Daniel faithfully worships the Lord, the God of Israel, praying to him three times a day, every day. Not only that, but these other guys know that Daniel's worship is the ultimate source of his success. So if Daniel doesn't worship... Following the decree, he will no longer find success, but if he worships, he will break the decree and be thrown to the den of lions. Rock in a hard place, right? Daniel's response, it's in verse 10. 
It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Bold. Right? Windows open, blatantly ignoring King Darius' edict for all of Jerusalem to see. And now this group of jealous politicians say, Aha! We've caught you! And they say to King Darius, Hey man, don't go back on your word now. Lion's den. Right? We pick back up verses 17 to 18. It says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Daniel's in the lion's den. Was he ignorant? No. He could have prayed in private. He could have hid. Did he have some kind of martyrdom complex? Well, maybe. But really, there's something deeper at work here. A few chapters earlier, Daniel's best buddies, they're thrown into a pit of fire. But miraculously, they walk away. They're unharmed. See, Daniel, he knew something. He's heard of the Israelites being freed from Egypt. He's heard about the parting of the Red Sea. He's heard about the manna and the quail in the wilderness. Daniel knows that the God he worships three times a day for all to see, the Lord is at work. Not in a vague metaphysical way, but really, truly at work. God has proven himself faithful. Daniel knows God's character and he knows God's heart. So stop worshiping? Absolutely not. Why? Daniel has reason for hope. In an Advent, we celebrate that God has entered the world in the person of Jesus Christ. In Advent, we remember that God was willing to not only take on human flesh, but was willing to subjugate himself to enter into the world through childbirth in a manger, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by dirt, hay, and farm animals. Now, did God do this for the thrill? No. He did this to save us from ourselves. He did this so that in the words of Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number six, we could truly know God as our creator, love him with all our heart, and live with him in eternal happiness. God acted for us. Advent reminds us of this reality and reminds us of this reason for hope. And Advent also reminds us of our need for hope. There are a lot of parallels in the book of Daniel to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Dream interpretation, winning over a ruler of a foreign land. Joseph was a happy-go-lucky guy. He had a great coat. He was a good shepherd. He was the apple of his father's eye. And his brothers, they beat him up. They left him for dead. They felt bad about it, so they sold him into slavery, and they faked his death to cover the whole thing up. Now, Daniel is a faithful, pious man. He does as he's told. We're told in uh, the book of Daniel that he was trustworthy. He was neither corrupt nor negligent, and yet he's put in a lose-lose situation, and he's thrown into a den of lions. Parallels? Tons. Blinding jealousy leading to the condemnation of an innocent man? Absolutely. Least common denominator? I don't need to highlight these stories from Scripture to tell you what we already know. That stuff is not all right. If you ever go to a recovery meeting, you'll almost always be met with words along the lines of, 
And after that first sip, I was hooked. Now we can chalk this up to systemic problems, generational problems, which it partially is. Or we can say that our own choices lead us to where we are, which is also at least partially true. But Advent also points us to a sobering reality, that we live in a sinful, fallen world. If the fact that you're watching this on a screen right now, instead of worshiping in person here, isn't reason enough, you don't have to look far. Hospitalizations are skyrocketing around the country, members of our very own community getting sick, anxiety, depression, exhaustion, reaching a fever pitch that we thought had already been reached months ago. Fatigue from a tiring election season. Advent gives us a reason for hope. Certainly, Jesus came once, leaving us in this almost state of existence, but I'd be lying if I said that we don't need some hope too. Because Jesus hasn't come back to make all things right yet. And we now more than ever in many of our lifetimes are left in a state of not yet saying, well, if he hasn't coming back now, then when? Man, oh man, do we need some hope. We all know this to be true. We know this to be desperately true. And Advent reminds us that all is not well and that we are in need of hope. And it also points us to a final truth. Verses 19 to 20 say this. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? I mean, the dude is is freaking out, right? It says, uh, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. His best satrap, or whatever, might be cat food, and he's dying to find out what happened. But if we take a minute to look past King Darius' panic, there's something more in his exasperation. I mean, Daniel just spent the night with lions, right? Of course, he's dead. Why in the world would King Darius think otherwise unless? As we wrap up today, our third point is confident expectation. King Darius might not have been so confident, but his reaction is unequivocal. He was expecting a miracle. And so we, as Christians, live out Advent expecting a miracle. Jesus has come. He was born, lived, taught, performed miracles. And he was also persecuted, ultimately killed a sinless man taking our place on a cross. And in his crucifixion, we know forgiveness. We know true and eternal life as we know the baby born in a manger as our Lord and Savior. See, Jesus defeated sin and death when he was resurrected three days after his death. And he left earth in his ascension, but even when it might not seem like it, even when we need hope as the brokenness of our world overwhelms us, Advent also points us to the confident expectation that Jesus will return and that he will make everything right. N.T. Wright says that hope is something that has happened in history and is something that will happen again in the future. He has come to us once, 
And in Advent, we confidently expect that he will come again. I'll give the last word to British New Testament scholar, 20th century, a guy named J.B. Phillips. He put it this way. He said, It is 1,500 years ago that this apparently invincible empire utterly collapsed. He's talking about the Roman Empire. And all that is left of it is in ruins. Yet the little baby, born in such pitiful humility and cut down as a young man in his prime, commands the allegiance of millions of people all over the world. Although they've never seen him, he has become friend and companion to innumerable people. This undeniable fact is, by any, by any measurement, the most astonishing phenomenon in human history. It is a solid rock of evidence that no agnostic can ever explain away. That is why, behind all our fun and games at Christmas time, we should not try to escape a sense of awe, almost a sense of fright, at what God has done. We must never allow anything to blind us to the true significance of what happened at Bethlehem so long ago. Nothing can alter the fact that we live on a visited planet. We shall be celebrating no beautiful myth, no lovely piece of traditional folklore, but a solemn fact. God has been here once historically, but as millions will testify, he will come again with the same silence and the same devastating humility into any human heart ready to receive him. Friends, this is the hope of the gospel. And this is the hope of Advent. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.